If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we are in our series leading up until Easter, our Lenten series, and we're going through the seven different times that Jesus says, I am. Jesus says, I am the shepherd, I am the gate. And this morning we talk about Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 12 Jesus says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. God, we pray that we would come to trust in you as our light, as what gives us direction, as the thing that illuminates our path as the source of our ability to see clearly. Help us to trust you as our light. Praise in your name. Amen. So in the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. God speaks, and the sun, the moon, and the stars are created. God speaks, and there is light. Light is something that happens from God's voice. Light is something that comes because God speaks. Light comes from God. In the beginning. But you fast forward and you get to the, the book of Isaiah. And Israel has been promised this land. And they're about to lose their land. They're in trouble. They've fallen away from God. And in this time in which they're terrified of losing the things that's most important to them. You hear this prophetic word in Isaiah 9. Voice of the Lord says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have lived in a land of deep darkness on them light has shined. In their darkness, there is this hint that there is a light coming to them. If you go to the end of the book in chapter 60, now Israel's coming back out of their oppression and going back to their land, according to most scholars. You hear this word of encouragement, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and, the th and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you. So as they're thinking of leaving darkness, God is the one who gives them light. The psalmist in Psalm 27 says this, Psalm 27 the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Light and salvation are seen almost as synonymous. God is the one who gives light and light is what saves people. And so the Israelites had this festival every fall called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And every year in the fall, they would make these tiny little huts, slap dash, put them together, and they would stay in them. And this was a huge festival. The pious ones would stay up all night celebrating and dancing. It's the only time in recorded history that college students are seen as the holy ones. But that's what you would do at the Feast of Tabernacles. If you're really holy, you would never even sleep at all, except on Sabbath because you can only party so hard. Now, there's a story about one rabbi, Rabbi Ben Gamaliel, Rabbi Simeon Ben Gamaliel, Gamaliel's son, I know you guys caught that faux pas I just did there. 
And there's a story about this rabbi, and he has eight lit lamps, and he's dancing with eight fiery lamps. Because you've never seen a party until you've seen a rabbi with eight lit lamps. But the reason Rabbi Simone ben Gamaliel had eight lit lamps is that every night the pinnacle of this party was the lighting of lamps. Because during this festival, they remembered how they went into the wilderness and lived in these little huts, these temporary structures, and God delivered them. And so they lit these lights to remember God's deliverance in the past, but also as a way to look forward to the way God will deliver them again in the future. And that way it's a lot like these meals that we take every Sunday around these tables of of communion or Eucharist or, or the sacrament. We take this because we remember what God has done, but we also look forward to what God is going to do. And so at the Feast of Tabernacle, they light these lamps and they remember God is the one who saved them back then and God is the one who will save them again. And so Jesus, in chapter 8, verse 12, if we can go back to that, uh, Mr. Reeser, it starts off by saying, in chapter 8, verse 12, the word, again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, implying that this is connected to whatever was right before it in John chapter 8. Now, if you have your Bible, there's this, you know that that story right there is a story of the woman caught in adultery, where they pick up the stones, and Jesus says, whoever hasn't sin, throw the first stone. And most scholars and and basically anyone who's ever read any Greek realizes that story doesn't really fit right there. Like the language is clearly off. And so that story might not be the one that actually is right before this that the again is referring to. It's actually a story in chapter 7, which is about a certain feast. If you want to guess what it is, it's the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, everyone goes, oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay, it's like this, um, it's like this song that you probably hear on the radio. There's a uh, musician, his name is Ed Sharon. You know who that is? Anyone? Ed Sharon fans? Anyone here? Okay, we got one. Okay, Monica, I'm just going to talk to you now. Um, he, uh, he's got this song out, I think it's called Thinking Out Loud, and there's a line in this song where this songwriter says, honey... Your soul can never grow old. It's evergreen. Now, let's leave beside the idea of a soul's ability to age or not age, which I I didn't know that was a conversation. But besides that, he says your soul is like an evergreen. Now, if you were to be asked the question, when did Ed Sheeran write a song about his honey's soul being evergreen? What holiday, what festival, what time of year do you think he's writing this song in which he compares his love's soul to a tree that doesn't ever go anything but green? You want to guess what that is? Christmas. Exactly. Everyone gets what he's talking about at Christmas because we have evergreen trees up in our houses. And we go, oh, I get what you're talking about there, Ed. Now, is that true? No, I completely made that whole thing up. Uh, the song's real, but the whole thing, I just made that up. But the comparison, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, everyone says, wait a minute, we have these lights that we, we light, these lamps that we set on fire every night is the pinnacle of this holiday, and you're saying you're the light. And they go, oh, Jesus, I get what you're saying. When we wave these palm branches on Palm Sunday, and we say, Hosanna, come save us, 
we're saying the same thing. We're saying you are the one who brings salvation. You're the one who delivers us. You're the one who gets us out of darkness. You're the way out. Because when you see the light, everything changes. Now, you might notice that uh, this morning our... Gosh, this thing is broken. Uh, You might notice that uh, Scott, our elder, Scott Siegel, isn't here this morning. He's up in Colorado. And when he was hearing that this is what I was going to talk about, he said, Luke, I've got a great song that you need to get Wags to play. And I couldn't get Wags to do it, but I, I wanted to play it. So, And this is a song that he, he thought would be great. It was a song that I, I think came out right around his 40th birthday. And he thought this song fits perfectly with this sermon about the light of the world. So Aaron, can you play the song from Scott's 40th birthday party? It's a good song. It's Hank Williams, seniors you might know. It's a nice song, isn't it? Right? You guys heard the song. And it fits, right? Here we sing. I saw the light. Yeah. I get it, Scott. I see where you're going with that. Maybe Wags will pick it up next week. But he's right. Like, that's the language. Uh, like, you see the light and, and you're changed. You see the light and everything's different. It's the story you hear, the husband who leaves his family and is spending his night in a drunken stupor at a bar, and he realizes he's wasting his life, and so he goes back to his family, and they say, why? And you say, well, I just I saw the light. Or you have the woman who's selfish and doesn't care about anyone else, and all she cares about is her own advancement, and then all of a sudden she changes, and you go, what happened? And she said, I, I don't know, I just saw the light in a Christmas carol. Ebenezer Scrooge sees the ghost of Christmas past and present and future changes because why? He saw the light. When you see the light, you change. I'm going to show you another video. Uh, this is a gentleman at the Mayo Clinic. And he's given uh, these this glasses. And it's like bionic eye kind of amazing technological stuff. And this is him seeing the light, seeing for the first time. So let's watch this clip. Oh, okay. It's it's going to take, yes, it's going to take interpretation of the shape of the light that's flashing. That's right. Okay. Because it's a pulsing light. It's that's not right. like regular vision where it's that's like right. constant. It's the flash, and I've got to be able to interpret the changes in that's that shape. Exactly right. Okay, let's okay. do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, how are you? I picked you up. Oh. You picked you up. God bless. <laughs> it's crude, but it's significant. You know, it, it it'll work. There we go. There we go. More. More. more to your left. Mm-hmm. There! Yeah! What do you see? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's going to take a lot of training. (laughs) When you see just a little bit of light, he doesn't see everything, but he sees a little bit, and that'll change you. 
When you see just a little bit of light, it changes you. When we make the declaration that Jesus is the light of the world, which is really what we're saying when we sing Hosanna, we're saying, you are the one who's going to save us. We believe that seeing him changes the world because it changes us. I want you to imagine you do a little caving, a little bit of spelunking, which is a metaphor I'm sure all of you will jump right into. But imagine you've gone up to the hills of West Virginia and you're deciding, I'm going to do some cave exploring. And so you've got your spelunking kit on. You've got your headlamp light on. You've got your big backup flashlight with you. And you go into this cave and you go down the cave. And as you're going down the cave, somehow you drop your flashlight. It falls off your, your, uh, your, your backpack. It's, it's dropped. It's gone. But you're like, it's okay. I still have my headlamp. And so you keep on going. You're going farther down into this cave. And you're all by yourself. But you're just really excited. And you're in the moment. And all of a sudden, your light starts to flicker, much like that TV was doing just a little while ago. And eventually it goes out. And so now you're thinking to yourself, why in the world am I in West Virginia? Second, you think, why am I in a cave with no light? You start to panic and you start to look, try to find any way to get out. And you look for just a glimmer of light. And if you see just a glimmer of light in this dark, dark cave, you follow it. When you see just a little bit of light, you follow it because that's your salvation. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, unlike these other I am statements that Jesus makes, it's not a claim about his divinity. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I am God. It's a claim about him being God. When Jesus says, I am the light, he's saying, I am what saves you. And if you follow me, you can be saved. And Jesus continues to be the light of the world. Jesus continues to be the road salvation when you're caught up in shame and all that you can feel around you and all you can sense is shame that you aren't enough and everything that you do seems to just be a reminder that you aren't who you should be or who you want to be or who you claim to be and that just seems to cave in on you And you feel like there's no way out. If you've been in shame, you know what I'm talking about, where it seems like all you can do is never enough. And you try and you try and you try, but you can't get past yourself. And it's just this cycle of shame. It's often because we're comparing ourselves to someone else. And we look at someone else's highlights compared to our uncut raw footage. And you go, I can't keep up with them. They have everything together. And I'm just a mess. And you get caught in this this pressure of shame and it says i'm not enough i'm not good enough i fail my family i fail myself i fail god i fail my employer i failed everyone and you have this sense of shame that you just can't add up when you learn to look to jesus who says you aren't what you do you aren't how you've fallen short you aren't how you've failed but you are a beloved son and daughter of god might be just a little glimmer, but if you follow it, that can be the light that changes your world because Jesus continues to be the light of the world to those who follow. Sometimes us church people get caught up in maybe not just shame, but self-righteousness where you really feel good about yourself. You think, I've got this all figured out. And it seems like that's not a a bad thing. It seems innocuous. Like I've got this thing figured out and I've got everything going for me. And then eventually you realize that you are on this treadmill that you can't keep pace with. And you feel like I've got to keep up 
with my perception that I've given to everyone else. Because this is who I am. I want to be, I want to be the righteous one. And instead, you're not righteous, you're self-righteous. Because you're communicating something that you can't live into. It's just this rat race that no one can win. And for those of us who learn how to turn to Jesus out of our self-righteousness, Jesus continues to be the light to our world that gives us salvation. Or maybe what you're feeling is guilt. That you know what you've done is wrong. And there's no way to, to, to spin it or, or to convince someone else because you can't convince yourself. But you know you have fallen short. And it's not in things that don't matter. It's in things that do matter. And you just aren't who you should be. And you're not shaming yourself, but this is actual guilt. That guilt can overcome you. Until you learn to look to Jesus, who, as the writer of Hebrews says, by one sacrifice made perfect forever those who are being saved. And when you learn to look to him and to hear what he's done instead of what you've done, Jesus can still be the light to your world because he leads you out of whatever it is that's caving in on you. But the key is you have to follow the light, right? That's the key. Uh, After Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, there's a a dust-up with the religious leaders of the day, and they push back on him, of course, as they always do. And there's this, uh, this exchange in verse 39 Religious leaders answered Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're not like Abraham, this ideal Jewish man. You aren't this paragon of faith because you aren't doing what he did. What Abraham did is he went out into the unknown. God said, I'm going to bless you, but you've got to go. And he said, I don't know where, but he just said, I, okay. And he goes into the unknown. He's willing to follow wherever God tells him to go. Instead, the people who don't follow are not the children of Abraham. People who follow the light of the world are children of God. But following is never easy, right? Do you remember what the, uh, the guy with the bionic uh, glasses said? He said, it's going to take some getting used to, right? It's, going to, it's, it's crude, but it can work if we get used to it. If I get used to it, it takes time. It takes practice. It takes years of experience to figure it out. When you follow Jesus, it doesn't happen just like this. It's a process that we all have to grow into. And it might not seem like it's enough, but it is. It's like if, if you've never driven before, if you'd never seen a car before and someone said i want you to get in your car at night and drive to oklahoma your first question is why would i ever go to oklahoma which is a good question i don't know the answer to but for the sake of conversation imagine you're going to and you get in the car and they say go to oklahoma at night and you go well, how can i get there it's dark and they say you have headlights and you turn your headlights on and you look and they they show a path of what 50 yards in front of you and that's it and you say well how am i going to go 200 miles to get to where I need to go. And they said, just keep going and trust that the light will be just enough for your next step. It doesn't make sense at first, but you eventually get used to it. We've, we've gotten used to that. We've driven with headlights before because you're used to the headlights just showing you enough for a few more seconds. And then you trust that in a few more seconds, you'll get a little bit more light. The same, the same seems to be true with the light of the world. It gives you just enough for one more step. It gives you just enough for one more minute. And you've got to trust that that's enough. And if you do, 
the light of the world will continue to lead you out of darkness. Let's pray. God, as we celebrate the God who saves us and we say Hosanna, as Christians throughout hundreds of years have declared, and as Christians some 2,000 years ago declared as Jesus went into Jerusalem, we echo that sentiment. We say Hosanna. We say, God, come save us. Because we are in darkness without you. But we trust that you are the light that can lead us out. Christ in your name. Amen. So we celebrate next week resurrection. We celebrate the climactic end of the tragic weekend. Jesus was let in on Palm Sunday, which is what we celebrate today. And then next Sunday, we celebrate that he was resurrected. And if we don't stop any time to think about what happened between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, we miss something that's an essential part of the Christian experience. We miss Friday. Because it's not always resurrection, sometimes it's crucifixion. Christianity is resurrection. We are a people of Sunday, of the resurrection, but you don't get resurrection unless you have crucifixion first. And that's not just something that happened back then. It's part of the Christian experience, which we all experience. Jesus is the light of the world, but sometimes it sure seems the light has gone out. There is a, uh, a missionary named Agnes who had a uh, spiritual director uh, tell her to, to journal all of her experience. And she wrote this following uh, piece. It's a long quote that was published after her death. She writes, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me, the child of your love, and now become as the most hated one? The one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. No one on whom I can cling. No one. Alone. The darkness is so dark and I am alone, unwanted, forsaken. The loneliness of the heart that wants love is unbearable. Where is my faith? Even deep down right in there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain? It's pain without ceasing. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crown in my heart. She goes on to write, they say people in hell suffer eternal pain because of the loss of God. They would go through all that suffering if they had just a little hope of possessing God. In my soul, I feel that just terrible pain of loss. Of God, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. Jesus, please forgive my blasphemies. I've been told to write everything. The darkness surrounds me on all sides. I can't lift my soul to God. In my heart, there is no faith, no love, no trust. There is so much pain, the pain of longing, the pain of not being wanted. I want God with all the powers of my soul. And yet there between us, there is terrible separation. I don't pray any longer. This missionary named Agnes wrote this. Uh, not many of you probably recognize Agnes, as a missionary you would know, but at the end of Agnes's life, she was given a new name, a name which you probably recognize. It's the name Mother Teresa. This is from her, doc, or her journal that was published after her death, in which she declares all this at the end of her life, 
Mother Teresa says, if I ever do become a saint, it will be one of darkness. If there's anyone who's going to experience the presence of God, it should be Mother Teresa. But as she says, if I'm ever going to be a saint, it's going to be one of darkness. Because for her, it seemed like the light had gone out. Because the Christian experience isn't just resurrection, it's also crucifixion. The writer of Hebrews says that we have a great high priest who can relate with us in every way. We have a great high priest who can relate to us in every possible way. Including this. Some scholars have speculated on what exactly happened on Good Friday, on the cross. When Jesus declares, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some believe that is the moment when God experiences the absence of God. Which is hard to fathom and it's hard to really put all that together. But all we know is that Jesus on the cross says that God has forsaken him. It seems that the light of the world had gone out. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. Darkness covered the earth as soon as Jesus breathed his last breath. And darkness continues to cover the earth. And you felt this. When you hear the word cancer, it seems like the world has gone dark. When that family member's brokenness bubbles back up to the surface... And it causes grief and heartache and pain for everyone who loves her or him. When your own brokenness bubbles up and causes those whom you love and care for to experience hurt, pain, and brokenness. When you lose your job. When you find that the credit card bills aren't going away. When you hear the diagnosis that you don't want to hear. When you wake up in the morning and you have more fears and doubts than you have answers. When that person who you so desperately want to change doesn't change. When your addiction doesn't go away. We all feel the Friday experience. We all feel crucifixion. When it seems that the light of the world has gone out. And that's part of the Christian experience. And it, and one of the, the tough things is that we're trying to do like a Good Friday service and a Palm Sunday service at the same time. And it seems like there's this big whiplash, like we're going, Jesus is the light of the world, and now we're saying the light has gone out. But that's exactly what people in the first century felt. As people were going into Jerusalem, I'm assuming the palm branches were still on the road that they traveled as they ended up going to see the cross. And what I'm going to invite us to do now, as we've done for the last few years, is I'm going to invite you to come up on the stage we're going to order, make a line, and I'm going to invite you to come up here and to grab a candle and to blow it out and remember a time, maybe this year, maybe it's right now, in which you are acutely aware of how it seems like your experience is Friday, where it seems like the light of the world has gone out. And we do this is because it's part of being honest it's part of the language we find in the early church, in the Psalms. There's a psalm that Wags is going to sing, in which the psalmist asks the question, how long, the Lord, must I wait? Lament is part of Christian worship, even if it's uncomfortable for us today, because we want to jump to Sunday, but you don't get Sunday without going through Friday first. And so at this time, I'm going to invite uh, Aaron to come to the stage. And what I'm going to invite you to do, if you want to participate, you don't have to by any means, if you don't want to, but we're going to... Uh, 
create a line and we're going to come this way and you're going to walk up here. You'll take a candle or be given a candle, blow it out, and then you can circle back around this way. So I'm going to pray for us as we do this. God, I pray first of all for those of us who don't feel comfortable enough with you to be able to lament. I pray that you would give us freedom to do that. And for those of us who our natural tendency when we feel pain is to numb ourselves and to run from it and to distance ourselves from it, I pray that your spirit will kindly nudge us towards reality. And as we step into this Friday experience, help us to know that you are in it with us. We pray this in your name. Amen.